Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. This is Anna Jaworski, and I hope you've been enjoying our Spotlight on Cardiac Athletes series. Lars Andrews wrote a book called Cardiac Athletes, and he was a guest on my show. He's now gearing up to assemble Cardiac Athletes 2, featuring stories about athletes who have undergone cardiac procedures. Some of the athletes were born with congenital heart defects, and some have acquired heart disease. I've really been enjoying interviewing some of the athletes who are going to be featured in his book. And today, we'll meet Beth Greenaway. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Beth. Good morning, Anna. It's a real honor to talk to you and to share some of my story with your audience. Well, I can't wait to hear what your cardiac condition is. It's a fairly long story. I was born in 1972. I got diagnosed about six months after I was born with pulmonary stenosis and an atrial septal defect. I had my first surgery in 1981 when I was, I think, about nine and a half. And I did reasonably well after that for about 20 years, had no real restrictions. I wouldn't say I was an athlete at that point, but I enjoyed a bit of school sports And then I went to university and graduated, but I certainly wasn't an athlete by any means. And I went to university and I think the normal thing happened at university, which was I put on a few too many pounds and I decided that maybe running was something I should do to try and get rid of my expanding midriff. And I certainly wasn't particularly good at it, but I started to enjoy being a little bit more active and it certainly helped with the weight control. And Shortly after I graduated, I moved to America. Obviously, I'm English to start with. I moved to America, ended up in South Florida, which is a place where people are extremely athletic or not athletic at all. And uh, <laughs> and it really sort of accelerated my enjoyment of competitive athletics. So I did a lot more running. Ultimately, I took up triathlon because I started cycling and then someone said you should swim. So I tried swimming and actually I became a reasonably competitive recreational athlete. I did half Ironmans, marathons, century bike rides. And really for about eight or nine years, it was my life. I had a job, but actually I worked my work around being a sort of competitive and enjoying that lifestyle. So you had your first surgery when you were nine years old. Yes. That's fairly old compared to a lot of people who are born with a congenital defect. And you were born with two. At the time, did they, quote unquote, fix both of the problems? When I was nine and a half, in theory, yes, the atrial septal defect was closed and I had some, I've always called it some work done on the pulmonary valve, which made it sort of more effective. It made it work. Okay. Um, You didn't actually have a valve replacement. No. I had what they called a pulmonary valvotomy, which always amuses me. I think it means that (laughs) they tinkered with it a little. Uh Um, And I assumed at that point that would be the end of that piece of the story. I'm not sure I thought I was cured, but I certainly didn't expect anything to come back later in life. It was sort of go off, lead your life, enjoy life. And really what happened was, in a way... I think I was my own worst enemy because I actually almost deliberately disengaged from medical follow-up. You're supposed oh, to have a okay. have follow-up every year or so. And when mm-hmm. I got to that rather awkward sort of 17, 18-year-old age, I think I disengaged from the medical follow-up almost deliberately. I don't know if that was denial or just a wish to distance myself from that part of my story, but mm. I viewed it as sort of done and dusted and I moved on. And as I became more physically fit and more athletic, that seemed to be so much in my past that really, aside from the scar on my front, I didn't really imagine that would come back in a way. Yeah. Okay. And I can say with complete honesty that it did come back. 
my health started to deteriorate. I guess I was about 30 years old and I noticed that I was finding it hard to race effectively and I was getting increasingly breathless. My exercise tolerance fell. I had started getting a lot of palpitations and I really wasn't sure. To me, part of that, I just thought, oh, I'm just getting older, which was a very funny thing to decide. I thought, no, it's nothing to do with my heart. I'm just getting older and this happens to everybody. I think it's a bit of sort of bury my head in the sand at that point. About that period, I actually moved back to the UK as well, which was somewhat fortuitous because most of my time in the US, I hadn't had any medical insurance. So it really would have been bad news. Yeah, that would have been. I came back to the UK. Eventually, I started having some real palpitation problems, arrhythmia issues, and I actually deliberately re-engaged myself with cardiology. And I went to see them and said, listen, I think there may be an issue. And indeed, it turned out that my pulmonary valve that had just been tinkered with all those years before was in a bit of a state. I hadn't helped myself by not having any follow up for those 11 or 12 years. I had extreme gross regurgitation of that valve, very enlarged right ventricle. Um, And obviously things were not what they should be. And and hence, I had a pulmonary valve replacement via open heart surgery again in 2005. I got pulmonary valve homograph, so it's a human cadaveric valve. I was super fit really going into that surgery. I had slowed down quite a lot, said the arrhythmia problems were holding me back. But Mm -hmm. actually, I believe the level of fitness I had going into that surgery gave me a reasonably uneventful recovery. I sort of saw that as a stepping stone. I thought, right, I'll get this valve fixed and I'll be back to where I was before. And indeed, in a bizarre way, I did a little mini triathlon six weeks after my surgery. Six weeks? Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, Beth, you know that's a little crazy, right? (laughs) I am crazy, yes, yes, you'll you'll discover I am potentially a little crazy. But to me, that that lifestyle was so much part of my identity. And I just just figured, well, get back to it kind of thing. And it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't easy. I was slower than I imagined, and the swimming particularly was uncomfortable. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Beth. Did you tell your cardiologist? Cardiologist that you were going to be doing maybe a little economic with the truth but uh, (laughs) but he he knows me well enough and and he himself was an athlete so he sort of understood and and sympathized a little with my mentality Um, but you went in the water and swam for how far I don't remember what it was. It wasn't particularly long. It was 500 meters or something like that. And, oh, and a little bit on a bike. And then I think sort of 3K run or somewhere in that vicinity. I think it was all done and dusted in about half an hour. But you but, do uh, know that most people take six to eight weeks to recover from surgery, any kind yes. of surgery. You yes. had open heart surgery. Yes, oh but I, again, I, I, just, I, just, I just get on in life and, and I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in maybe I push myself too hard, but I'm not sure. I think that mentality of just making the most of it, pushing on, has actually enabled me to achieve a lot more than I would have done otherwise. I don't yeah, sort of want I to sort that. of hold myself back, really. I'd rather sure. push and find out what the limits are okay. rather than... So, so did you collapse with exhaustion when you were done with this race? No, no, not at all. Not at all. And actually that sort of trajectory continued. And I really did work quite hard to rebuild my fitness. I competed in a lot more running races. I did a half Ironman, I think less than a year later. Wow. 
I was never quite the level I was before. I was always a bit upset by that because I expected to actually come out of the surgery sort of better. I thought, well, I'm going to be even better. And I wasn't better, but I, I certainly regained a fair bit of my fitness. And again, I just figure you make the most of, of what you can do. I don't live with the restrictions. I'd rather just push and see where you get to. I don't set markers before I try. I say, well, let's try and see what happens. Sure. I think I was very lucky because actually when I listen to other people in similar situations than me, I think I've had a relatively smooth story. Mm -hmm. And all right, I still had some arrhythmia issues. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So hold on a second. You had a pulmonary valve that had to be replaced, but you said that after the 11 years of kind of falling out of care with your heart, that part of your heart had enlarged. Now, was that what was causing the arrhythmia problems? Yes. Yes, very much so. Mm -hmm. And And actually, after surgery with the new valve in there, my heart didn't shrink right the way down to what would be considered normal size, but it certainly shrunk quite considerably. And it was going to take time because it took time for it to get enlarged. So it would be reasonable that it's going to take time for it to shrink back to the position it needs Uh, to be. It is quite surprising how quickly the volumes in a ventricle can change. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm no medical expert. I've just become more of an expert in my own issues. Right. Um, But it's actually surprising how quickly the ventricle remodels without that extra load of a regurgitating valve that the ventricle can actually remodel surprisingly quickly. And as it got smaller, indeed, my arrhythmias became easier to manage. And it was always assumed those arrhythmias would be fairly benign and wouldn't cause me any significant issues. The little twist in the story, or one of the twists, is that that was assumed to be the case. And indeed, it was until February 2016, when I'd been to a cycle class, uh, spinning, for want of a better word. And shortly afterwards, I'd gone home, I'd gone via the supermarket and I noticed that I had some vision issues in my left eye and there was a very strange sort of blob at the bottom. And I, yes, yet again, my bury the head in the sand principle followed and I just ignored it. I thought, well, that's very odd, but I'll deal with that next week. Oh, no, Beth. uh, (laughs) Yes, okay, okay. And uh, indeed I did. A few days later, I said to a very good friend of mine, I said, I've got this really strange kind of bit missing at the bottom of my left vision. And she goes, ah, that's not good. You need to go to the eye hospital and see if they can figure that one out. Mm -hmm. And I went and to cut a long story short, because it was a very strange set of circumstances and story, they said, oh, well, we don't think you've had a stroke. We're not really sure what happened. Have a brain MRI anyway to find out. Uh-huh. And it turned out that I had had a stroke. Now, unfortunately, that slight missing piece in the bottom of my left eye got worse over the period of a couple of weeks. And oh, wow within a few weeks, I had no usable vision in my left eye. I can still see out of it, but it's so useless that my brain at this point ignores it. So I walk around a one eye person, which I would say out of all of the things that have happened to me, that would be probably the most inconvenient. I had issues with having to surrender my driver's license, which I did luckily get back when I proved that I can see well enough out of the other eye. But I think the biggest problem was it took away a lot of my enjoyment of exercise and my confidence really because I don't see so well my depth perception is not Ah, as good as it should be right and particularly my beloved cycling I really thought well this is it I shall never go outside and cycle again because I feel very vulnerable right but luckily as usual with the help of some friends I've got some amazing cycling friends and things they said well listen 
come out with us. We'll go really slowly. We'll ride near you so that we can prevent anyone from riding into you. And we'll make sure you don't ride through any potholes or anything unfortunate. (laughs) And uh, naturally... It's okay. I wouldn't say I enjoy cycling as much as I did before, but those really great people in my life have enabled me to continue to cycle. And it's something I do on a probably couple of times a week, at least I go out on my bike, some shorter rides, some longer rides. I ride up to 30, 40 miles. I just feel fortunate to still be able to do that and to enjoy it. Right. So I've sort of rebuilt from there. So we had the first surgery We had the second surgery, then we had the stroke. And I always knew, really, with that pulmonary valve that was replaced in 2005, I knew that at some point that would need doing again. Um, But it was assumed, potentially, I could have a catheter procedure, which would save me another open heart surgery, which I think would have been wonderful. And it would have been 11 or 12 years since that pulmonary valve replacement. But unfortunately, the next twist in the story is it all went rather wrong again in March this year. Oh, wow. When uh, having been very unwell initially with a kidney infection, totally unrelated, unfortunately, that somehow got into my system, even though I had antibiotics to treat it, somehow got into my system. And a month later, I was very, very, very unwell and had been for several weeks. And it turned out I'd contracted bacterial endocarditis. So the inside of my heart was massively infected. My Omni valve was really in an awful, awful state. I had what they, I love the term vegetation. So there was stuff yeah. growing inside my heart. Nobody and, likes uh, to hear that, Beth. That's such a scary thing to think about. It wasn't great. And there was abscess and all sorts of things. Oh, and I think partly again, I'd let it go on a little before I sought treatment. There's a repeating pattern here, you notice. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I'm really, really um, hoping this is a pattern that you've decided, I don't want this to continue anymore. <laughs> well, I don't know. As I said, I, I think we're supposed to learn from our mistakes. I think I do, but maybe I'm just a slow learner. I'm not sure, again, that maybe they're all mistakes. It's just part of life's process. You just go through these things. Either way, I ended up as an emergency admission in oh, into no. the hospital. And I ended up in my my local hospital who actually were not capable of really dealing with the problem. So I was then got an emergency ambulance ride 130 odd miles away to the local congenital heart centre where the theory was I would then get probably a month or so of IV antibiotics then surgery to clean up the damage, then maybe another month of IV antibiotics. That didn't turn out to be the case. I had a scan the day after I got there and it was not a pretty picture at all. And the surgeon was in my room before I even got back to my room saying, wow, uh, you're on the table the day after tomorrow. <gasps> oh, and my gosh. I, Beth. I loved his term for it. And I shall remember it because he said, I've ordered the parts you need. It's a bit <laughs> like, I imagine you go to the grocery store and, and pick up some sort of parts. Uh, it made me giggle. I have, a, I have a very pragmatic view on life. And I think I smiled and thought that was quite funny. I've ordered the parts you need. I had open heart surgery and yet another pulmonary valve replacement and various other tinkering around in there. And actually, again, in spite of the rather dire situation I was in when I went into that, actually, I recovered reasonably well. I had a total of seven and a half weeks in hospital with a pick line and IV antibiotics four times a day for half an hour. First month, that was okay, really, because I felt 
not particularly wonderful. The second month, I will say, was incredibly boring just to be stuck in hospital. So providing I was there for my antibiotics at six o'clock, 12 o'clock, six o'clock and 12 o'clock, I was pretty much free to wander around and do things. But being stuck in the hospital was not an environment I was particularly enjoying I'm not sure you're supposed to enjoy it but I felt like I wanted to be getting on with my life yeah and, I think they things. intentionally make it uncomfortable so you want to get home <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was ready to get home I think I'd have discharged myself if I could but the antibiotic regimen was such that it couldn't be administered anywhere other than in the hospital so I right. sort of had to stay put really but even then as soon as I could I was getting out off the ward I was walking I figured out some walking routes around the place and I used to make a plan to leave the hospital at least three times a day I'd go out after breakfast in the morning out the door and, and walk around how many loops I could do and go back in I do the same thing again between lunch and the evening meal and usually again after that so I, I always had a plan for three times a day to get out and do some sort of movement because to me movement is life and I didn't want to be stuck in a bed I would have just gone completely crazy to be frank I love that so, movement is life I love that that's awesome I don't think I'm actually that unusual exercise or physical activity is absolutely critical not just my physical health. I mean, obviously, it's important for physical health. But to me, it just takes so much care of my mental health. Mm -hmm. If I don't get that movement in, and it doesn't have to be big things or particularly high intensity or anything else, but I just need to move. And I feel better for moving. And I find when I do, I'm just a lot more of a mellow person. I move, <laughs> my moods are better. I don't get stroppy. And actually, I have a friend and if I ever do get stroppy, he says, go and do some exercise. That's what you need to do now. Because... <laughs> so everybody knows you. That's so cool. Some, some, people, you know, some people medicate there. I say it with alcohol. Some people medicate with drugs and other such issues. I don't. I medicate myself with exercise. I love it. The most common themes that I hear is why. She always needed a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it to help me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. You are definitely a cardiac athlete. You have been a cardiac athlete, it sounds like, for decades. So tell me what being a cardiac athlete means to you, Beth. It's making the most of life and its opportunities. I think if I didn't have that desire to exercise and to push myself and to find out what those limitations are, I think I would have led less of a life. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but the things I've done athletically, and these days I'm a very sort of poor shadow of the person I was, but even so, it still opens doors for me. It still brings me into contact with other cardiac athletes and people who are similarly pushing their own boundaries. And 
I love that. And it allows me to not let my diagnosis or my history define who I am and how I live my life. That to me is really important. Yes, I am a cardiac patient. I can't remove that, that part of my story, but it enables me to live beyond that part of my story. And I'd almost say I see myself as an athlete first and a cardiac patient second. Yes, that's changed. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, because it does seem like being an athlete is integral to who you are. It is. It is absolutely part of my character and what makes me feel alive. In the other part of my life, which is my working life, I run classes for physical activity exercise classes for people with long-term medical conditions. So I do a lot of cardiac rehab, uh, cancer rehab, pulmonary rehab. So I run group classes for people who've had some sort of medical diagnosis and equally wish to get back to activity. Now, in general, my client base tends to be retired people, but I still see the same with them is that they're still trying to lead the best life they can after their diagnosis and that to me is really inspiring I love the fact I can look out in my studio pretty much any day of the week and I can see people actually for whom I think it gives me a great perspective because I look at them and I go boy I'm really glad I don't have your problems (laughs) and and that that seems really strange but perspective is is such a powerful thing when you realize that yes you've got your own issues Mm -hmm. but actually no matter how bad or how difficult or how challenging your life is there's always someone out there who's got it a whole lot worse absolutely uh, to me I I love my work partly for that reason I just feel so unbelievably grateful my athletic life has enabled me to do that also it's enabled me to work with those people and I don't like the idea necessarily that they find me an inspiration but I get my inspiration from them most definitely well I'm sure you are an inspiration to them though and having somebody lead them in their exercise after something that's traumatic and painful and seeing that this young person because you are young compared to the retired people but you've been through what they've been through and probably much worse than what they've been through. And yet, look, here you are leading the class. It's got to be inspirational. I think we all bump along together, really. I think that's quite nice because everybody appreciates that everyone else has different health issues. Mm -hmm. But also what it tends to do because those classes, people work out together in a group, Mm -hmm. it also destigmatizes their issues because they also look out and see other people with different diagnoses, different problems. And it makes them realize that life does go on and that you can still make the most of it. And we become so much more than our diagnosis. You know, I was always fearful when I start, well, in a way, fearful when I started the classes 10 years ago or so, because I thought all these people would talk about was all their problems. And it turns out that's probably the last thing we talk about. We talk about (laughs) the theatre. We talk about what was on television last night. We're just people who just happen to have other things going on in life. And it's really nice to share time with people and discover that we're just so much more than that diagnosis. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been a fabulous episode. Thank you so much, Beth, for coming on the program. No problem at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, it's always interesting to me to hear different people's experiences and how they rise above the challenges that they have faced. And like you said, we're all facing different challenges. Thanks again for coming on the show today, Beth. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Please come back next week when we will feature another cardiac athlete. And until then, remember, my friend.
silence. You are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.